biggest responsibilities for our business readers here at Tech Emergence is to flesh out the possibility space of artificial intelligence. And what I mean by that is to look at a particular industry or a particular business function. So we might look at finance or we might just look at marketing and flesh out where is AI being used here and what have been the actual results? Who's paying money for this? What kind of results are they actually getting? And what's new in this sector? And what are the consequences thereof that I might want to take into account for strategic planning, for IT procurement, etc.? This is pretty much our core editorial responsibility, whether it's our interviews, like the one you're about to listen to, or our in-depth research in our research tab at techemergence.com. That's pretty much what we do. The first thing that people do often when they land on the homepage at techemergence.com is they go to the industry dropdown, they click on finance, they click on healthcare, they click on marketing and advertising, and they find the sector that they're interested in understanding. And generally, they are there from our surveys and polls to get a sense of what the heck is happening and what is the darn ROI of those applications. And that's really our homework and what we're preoccupied with 24-7. In this particular interview on the AI and Industry podcast, we focus on a business function that is relevant for essentially all businesses, certainly businesses that get to a certain scale, and that is customer service. Normally, you'd think of customer service AI applications as natural language processing that understands emails or understands text messages or social media and kind of garners that feedback, maybe routes it to the right customer service agent. But in this case, we're actually talking about phone conversations. Our guest this week is Ali Azerbaijani, who is the CTO of Cogito Corporation, which is based in the Boston area. Cogito works on coaching and providing feedback for call center agents in real time, getting a sense of their voice tone, getting a sense of whether or not they interrupt the person who's speaking, assessing the emotional tone of the person they're speaking to, and maybe giving them guidance on how to continue the conversation and take that into account. It also provides feedback to the managers of these kind of call center operations to help them understand their aggregate performance. We speak with Ali about what is actually possible with analyzing voice in real time, not what might be possible in two years, but Tell us what's possible now and what the results are in terms of actual business ROI and what kinds of companies moving forward in the next two years, three years, are most likely to borderline need some degree of assessment of their call center operations for continuous improvement. Which businesses have the real dire need for improving customer support at this level of granularity? And Ali provides some pretty interesting insight into the coming half decade of this kind of applied artificial intelligence. So without further ado, this is Ali with Cogito here on AI in Industry. So, Ali, I wanted to go into first and foremost what's possible today with respect to this sort of phone conversational interface tech. We've talked to a lot of folks who are analyzing text, whether it's text messages, social media, email. You folks are, are working a lot with voice. I know both service and sales are common use cases. Walk us through what businesses are actually able to do now, realistically. Sure, Dan. So what our technology does is it listens to conversations as they're happening in real time and processes the audio for what I I usually categorize into three categories, three sorts of things that we're looking at. One are sort of short-term features of how you sound. The second is sort of longer time frame patterns of how you speak, and that applies to each participant in the conversation. And then the third category is conversational dynamics, you know, patterns of interaction. And the information from those aspects of speech 
allow us to understand a lot about what's going on in the conversation. I usually tell people, you know, when trying to understand what our technology does is think about listening to two people having a conversation in a language that you don't understand. So you don't understand the words. Yep. You can still tell a lot about the conversation. You can tell whether they're engaged with each other, whether someone's angry or, or whether someone's dominant and those sorts of things. And, and that's kind of what we're listening to. It's not necessarily what you say, but how you say it. So those sorts of features are indicative of a lot of things that call center professionals care about. Our technology is mainly deployed in customer service operations. We also have deployments in sales operations. Yeah, yeah. The primary thing that we do is we feedback this information in real time to the agents who are on the phone. So as they're speaking, they can see a, a picture of the conversation evolving in front of them and they can get notifications when certain undesirable conversational patterns are going off the rails. And that helps them respond and be aware of the conversational dynamics and be able to improve the interaction. And that leads to a lot of a lot of better conversations and ultimately better results of the call center. Cool. Okay. So just to clarify a bit on this, I mean, makes a ton of sense in a lot of different respects. I mean, to be able to kind of guide in real time, I mean, to to scale what would be mentorship, I suppose, you know, in a, in a technological sense like this, seems like a great way to garner some better performance. Certainly in terms of kind of human skill development, you know, feedback in real time is an awful useful thing. It's really hard to have a meeting at the end of the month and try to aggregate everything you were supposed to do or that you did well. It's better to sort of get a sense of that in real time. So this sounds like what you're referring to. And it sounds like for the most part, customer service is the more primary use case, at least now for you folks. You do some sales, but it's mostly customer service. Is that mainly because it's a little bit of an easier, more controllable environment, more definable environment to set up the tech? Is that because that's just where the demand is now? What's kind of bent the majority of these folks to kind of lean towards customer service? Well, that's what we're focused on right now. Got it. uh, it's also probably the largest segment of, of contact center seats yeah. is, yep. is in customer service. That's but there are a lot of compelling applications in sales as well. You know, the coaching and mentoring is part of it. So part of what this represents is a new and different paradigm for doing the kind of quality control and coaching in the call center that is normally done, as you alluded to, by sort of a couple of calls a month analysis yeah. you know, per agent, which is a fairly ineffective way of, of doing definitely coaching and, and, and leads to kind of an adversarial relationship between the agents and the supervisors or, or quality control people. What we're trying to do in our product is by making the conversational information more transparent and available in real time, we do a couple of things. The transparency sort of dissipates this adversarial relationship because everyone's looking at the same stuff. And so it gives a more objective view you know, on every conversation that the agents can get that directly allows them to actually do something about it. So that's the real time part of it. When they're getting this information in real time, they can actually do something about it. Whereas if they're getting information on a call that they did a month ago, it's really not going to help. It's certainly not going to help in the moment. It, Definitely it, not. Not with that call. Most agents and call center people I've talked to, you know, find it fairly ineffective. The quality control process is mainly used for compliance. It's not really actually targeted normally towards improving skills. Performance, yep. Yeah. You know, the other thing worth mentioning is that 
it's not just coaching. It's the intervention part. It's that, that it allows you to, to give the information back to the users in real time. And, you know, part of it is not just skills, but also just the fatigue and mundaneness of doing the job. There's something called compassion fatigue. And huh, this you, is interesting. Lay it on me. I, I have a feeling I know where you're going, but this is very curious. Yeah. So look, I mean, even the best agents, even the most, the most talented <laughs> agents on your staff, when you're spending all day listening to people's problems and they're Oof. yelling at you and, yeah. and you've got difficult cases to deal with, you tend to sort of turn off the emotions and turn off the compassion at some point and you get tired, you get fatigued. Yep. Even agents who are really skilled can drop the ball on a lot of just sort of normally good practices in, in conversations. And so it can serve as a reminder and a coach that, you know, this conversation is really not going that well. So, you know, maybe get a cup of coffee and, and try to increase your awareness. And, and Good good to yeah. note. Well, you, you mentioned it's, it's different than coaching. I guess when I said coaching, that's kind of what I meant. I come from the, the mixed martial arts world where, you know, when you're in a tournament and you are screwing up, you know, like not, not remembering to hold your hands up or not remembering to check kicks the right way or getting laggardly and kind of dragging your back leg in a way that's going to hinder your mobility. Somebody is yelling at you, probably a coach, in real freaking time that you are screwing up, that you are getting tired, that your form is breaking, that you are less likely to win and more likely to be harmed by your opponent. There is that real-time feedback element that you mentioned, and I think that's neat. So you're saying that the system may be able to say, hey, Steve, you know, it seems like things are kind of wearing on you a little bit here. It might make sense to just kind of take a walk, grab a sip of something and come back and, and let's just try to kind of have have our tone get back to where we know we need it because I'm, I'm noticing maybe it's sort of great on you here and we got to reset. We got to reset that tonality and, and get us back to the right place. And then a system may, you know, without that casual wording, be able to have a similar prompt that could remind someone similarly. Is this safe to say? Yeah, th that's exactly the idea is that the agent's will be reminded that these conversations are not going well, you know, either take a break or, or something like that, or in the moment while you're in a conversation, wake up a little bit, get through this conversation and, yeah. uh, and do a better job. Got it. So we've only got a couple other things to, to cover in the interview. One of them is going to be, hey, how the heck do we set this up and how does it actually work? Which uh, I'm sure there's a layman's terms version of it, although I'm sure it's rather complicated. Before we do that, though, just to paint a mental image, Part of my job here hosting the show is to talk to people who both understand the science and the business and to get them to articulate what this technology does in a way where someone could close their eyes and kind of see it. So if I'm in a call center, I'm seeing myself in a chair, I'm looking at a screen, someone's pretty upset about their login or their password reset not working and maybe they had this issue last week and they're really upset about it. And so I'm having the conversation with this person. Is there some kind of a bar that's maybe displaying their current emotional state on some kind of scoring system and maybe mine as well, and also maybe prompting me as to the next line or phrase that maybe I ought to be using in some way, shape, or form, or maybe another you know, box somewhere that says, hey, you, know, you might want to bring up your, your empathy in your voice here because we're kind of noticing you guys are both have kind of a grating tone. What is in front of my face as an agent using this tech? What the agent has on their desktop is a small window. You know, one of our challenges as a product is that in call centers, desktops can get relatively cluttered because agents typically have as many as a dozen or sometimes more, you know, tools that they're using in their job, interfaces with databases, CRM systems, all kinds of things. So part of the challenge for us is having small screen footprint. 
but always being visible there so that when a notification comes in, it can grab the agent's attention and get them in a very concise way to understand the thing that could be improved in the conversation. So, you know, one of the notifications we have, for example, is an empathy cue, which occurs when it sounds like the empathy and rapport in the conversation is diminishing. And you might want to pay attention to connecting better with the person you're talking to. There are other more more basic notifications. If you're speaking particularly fast, or if you're leaving, you know, wide gaping spaces of of no speech while you're playing with your database or whatever, that can also be Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. So So generally actionable information. Now, the other part is that the system also has an interface, a real-time interface for supervisors. I was going to say, my expectation is there's, there's a big emphasis there too. Talk a bit about that. So for supervisors, of course, they can get all of the information that their agents are seeing. In addition to that, there are also some higher level models which have to do with the quality of the call. That's really where a lot of the machine learning comes in is being able to create sort of high level scores on calls. Now, these are a little bit less directly actionable, but it's extremely valuable to get that aggregate statistical information at the supervisor level because then they can see when the call center as a whole is going south or something strange is happening uh, today with the calls. The other interesting thing is that these days, a lot of call centers are having agents work more and more at home. And in in a physical call center, supervisors can often just kind of walk around and get a feel for what's going on. But with a real-time interface, they can actually see their agents working at home just as well as they can see the agents that are physically present in the call center. So so that gives them you know, a way of really monitoring what's going on and being able to jump into whatever call they need to if they see something's going south. Got it. Okay. So yeah, I imagine there's a pretty big emphasis. So you want to see both the forest and the tree, so to speak, right? You want to be able to look at look at a, a really tight flow of individual calls and get a sense of you know problems and what you might want to talk to somebody about. But you also want to know, how's your company doing at large when it comes to you know, talking too fast? Or how's your company doing at large with regards to kind of empathy and tone or something like that? It sounds like there's ways to kind of look at those aggregates. So that's useful as well. Okay, cool. So good to know. Next question here that I think would be really interesting to dive into, and I'm, you know, I could make guesses here, but it's way better to ask you, you know, how are these systems trained? So, you know, when I think about a call center, you probably deal with different kinds of call centers. So maybe somebody sells running shoes and, you know, athletic apparel on the internet and maybe you have another call center for a car rental facility that has you know locations throughout the united states or something like that these are going to be different sorts of calls i mean you know maybe we'll have similar categories you know refund requests or whatever but at the end of the day i mean the scripts are going to be drastically different the kinds of customers probably are going to be drastically different and there's some degree of orchestration to set up hey what do we want to see here my guess is there are some quote unquote, I don't know a better term for this, best practices around you're talking too damn fast or that was 30 seconds without talking. That's bad. But there's some kind of universal like we need to watch out for this stuff. And then there's also a lot of specific things that would have to be trained and kind of understood with a subject matter expert at that business. Is that safe to say or is there a different balance in the way I'm imagining it? Yeah, it's a good question, Dan. There's a, a number of different levels that we're doing processing at. 
And so at, at the low level, when we're talking about features that are extracted directly from audio and have to do with, say, speaking rate or speaking and not speaking and things like that, those are pretty universal. But context definitely is something that, that we adapt to. So what we do when we install in a new call center, you know, we do a couple of weeks of calibration. What we do is we, you know, collect and process the phone calls for a while and just and collect the statistics to understand the norms for the kinds of conversations that happen in that call center. Yes. Okay. Because you're absolutely right. Different kinds of conversations have different dynamics to them. So that goes into the models and then the models can be a little bit more appropriate for that particular type of conversation. They can feel a little smarter that they're not doing the same for like a sales context that they're doing for a service context, which which are often quite different. Got it. So th- there's some collaboration up front, I would imagine, with the folks on your team and the people who work at the call center, probably managers who understand the bigger picture dynamics, things like that, where you say, okay, you know, let's decide on the end goals. Let's decide on the kinds of tone that we're looking for. Let's decide on the kinds of patterns we need to pick up on. And then let's collect a bunch of data and take a look at what usually happens within a couple of weeks. And then let's say, how do we want to slice and dice this? Then there needs to be some instrumenting and orchestration so that you can then build a system that's really going to nail their issues. Yeah. So most of what we do is ready to go out of the box, you know, with the calibration. So that's a pretty straightforward process. But there certainly are differences in how our customers want to roll things out. So some customers have specific behaviors that they're really concerned about. Like they might want to focus on interruptions. That's where the configuration comes in is, you know, we might say, okay, you know, I have a dozen different behavioral notifications that we can, that we can give your agents, but let's just focus on two or three of them. So, you know, maybe interruptions, talking rate and, you know, and other things. So like empathy cue. Yeah. So. And then add some of the other ones as agents get accustomed to to having that kind of feedback. Got it. What I do here on the show is it's kind of touchy stuff because in some ways I make vendors talk about something other than, you know, push a button and magic occurs, which I think everybody knows isn't the case. And I think everybody who's tuned in now should understand that Cogito is by no means the only AI vendor where there's going to be some orchestration up front. Of course, clients are going to be different. Needs are going to be different. These things are realities of implementation, but it's interesting to get a sense of, like you said, what things need to be tweaked per client and what it actually takes to get that going. It sounds like you know you record things, you gather your patterns, you look at the priorities of the client, and then you can kind of take you know the system as it is, which sort of does the core functionality and tune it and route it and handle the kinds of scenarios that are particular to that that client and that there's a, that little kind of front-loaded section to make sure that you're nailing those priorities, it sounds like. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Great to know. Yeah. As you were saying. Yeah. I just wanted to mention, so, you know, another another capability that we were rolling out this year is real-time word spotting alongside the behavioral analysis. And what that allows our customers to do is then have, you know, a little bit more workflow notification. So if users are talking on a particular topic, they can bring up notifications specifically directing their agents either to knowledge bases or to directions for how they should alter their script. So in those, there's there's a lot more configuration because there's a lot more, you know, context-specific topics and workflow issues that they have to work through. So, so that's a little bit more... Uh, Hands-on. You know, yeah, a little bit more configurable in terms of what the customer wants. 
Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there's going to be some features and setup that, you know, are, are going to be a little bit more hands-on than others, it sounds like. And that makes sense. Pretty particular to the individual business, while other things might be pretty common. Last question I wanted to dive into, and I know that you must be thinking about this pretty often. I think this is a great question to talk to executive teams about because it's got to be one of the, the things you're really thinking about when you're you know, taking a shower or walking the dog, which is where's the future of this and who's really going to be the big adopting clump of companies that are going to you know, turn this into something really significant in the business world. Hearing you now, it sounds like you know, the bulk of the folks sitting in seats are not making sales. Primarily, they're handling customer service. So you know, we have a big, big market there. When you think about in the next five years or so, what kinds of companies are going to have the most pressure in, in your mind to adopt technologies of this sort? Where does this have the best likelihood of being ubiquitous? Is there any commonality other than, hey, a lot of customer support handled via the phone? Is it get more granular than that or is it that broad? Who do you think is most likely in five years? What, what sector, if we could identify, is most likely to really kind of need this stuff? Well, I, I can tell you what sector we're focused on right now. I think you know, in the future, you know, as, as you can imagine, this kind of information can be useful to anyone who's having a conversation with one person or multiple people, like in a meeting. So for example, this conversation that we're having right now, you know, could be useful, you know, as you know. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. There's, it'll be downloaded 30,000 times in the next five weeks. So yeah. So, so there, you just interrupted me and I, I turned over the floor to you and, and we have conversational dynamics going back and forth. And that could be helpful in this conversation too. So there's a wide, there's a wide range of conversations that it could be useful. What we're focusing on right now, I think where the big opportunity is for right now is large member centric organizations that, huh, okay. that interact with their customers via call centers. Now, the reason that large is a more compelling case than a small call center is that in a small call center, you know, you can kind of just all talk to each other and you hear what's going on. You can walk around and listen to each other. And it's a little bit less mysterious what's going on. But in a large call center, when you have hundreds or thousands of agents, and some of our customers have, you know, tens of thousands of agents, it's a much bigger problem understanding what's going on. And, you know, the uniformity of quality of the conversations is going to vary a lot more. It's a much bigger data insight problem in large organizations. Now, the member-centric part of it tends to be important because call centers, which deal with very transactional stuff, do not place as much value yeah. on yeah. relationships as companies who have customers as members or subscription holders. Like if you're thinking about you know, insurance or other types of relationships, that the customer churn and customer acquisition are both very expensive. And so your relationships are very important. The call center is the front line in those relationships. Yeah. And currently, there are very few tools, and I would say probably no effective tools for understanding what's going on in the conversation or as effective as, as what we're offering right now. Yeah. And, you know, an example that we often give is some of the cable companies who have local monopolies. Now, they are member-centric organizations but they're not necessarily in an environment where they have competition, where the churn is as effective to them. So another nuance that you might add on that is that uh, companies who are in competitive environments where the relationships really matter and that they have to do it at scale. Yeah, man, I, I really appreciate you letting me get in your head on this because I think 
for the folks tuned in, this makes a lot of business sense. And that was a nuanced answer, but one that I certainly appreciate. I want to clarify this before we wrap up because I think this is a you're you're making a compelling case for where you're focusing. And and Lord knows what the future will bring, but it sounds as though a lot of what you're articulating again makes sense. For the folks with whom stick rate and kind of longer term customer relationship really matters. Like I know you folks work with a number of banks and, and kind of the finance world, maybe the, the insurance space. Tell me if I'm wrong here. I'm just trying to remember what I saw on your website. Yeah, financial services, yeah. insurance, a lot Got of it. where we makes customers. makes sense. So I know I've had I forget who I even use for car insurance. I think it's Geico or something. But whoever they are, I've been with them for 12 years because I don't have a compelling reason to change, I guess. Maybe I just haven't thought about it enough. But regardless, I guess the point there is my customer lifetime value is like astronomically higher to Geico in terms of dollars and profit than it is to the place where I just bought sneakers, you know, four months ago. It's just who really cares? I mean, at the end of the day, like I may or may not be married to that sneaker company, but you know, with Geico, it's like, you know, we're talking about, you know, thousands a year or whatever it is, that's substantial enough for them to want to care, to need their calls to, you know, begin on the right tone, end on the right tone. So essentially what you're getting at is high value customer service, which is big customer lifetime value, long-term relationships being important. And I would imagine, you know, price points that also justify it. If you work with a bank for 20 years, they're going to make some pretty good money off you. As opposed to, you know, if there's an ice cream shop down the road, maybe in 20 years, you know, you go there twice a year, you're really not worth the same profit than you are to the place where you keep all your darn money. So am I picking up what you're putting down? Yeah. So I, I think you picked up on a good point, which it's not just member centric organizations, but also sort of high value brands, because even though they don't have a formal relationship with you, these brands want to have a long term relationship with you. So premium brands where their repeat customers are very valuable. The so vision could be, course, could be fashion or something. Yeah, you know, fashion Maybe. or just or, or just anything that any type of brand that values repeat customers. Not it could be your sneakers company if you buy a lot of sneakers, but <laughs> um, I don't. But yeah. you know, sort of premium brands is another area. Now, now the vision is that really anyone who has conversations for a living, in particular can really benefit from the feedback. So, you know, the vision is that in the future, it'll be a lot more available. And we certainly have plans to, you know, to create offerings for small and medium businesses as well. At the moment, the integration part of it is fairly high touch. So that also makes sense for us to stay in the large enterprise domain. Also in our plans is being able to provide a platform so that people can build their own apps on top of it. And then maybe, you know, someone will build the integration with Skype, and then we could be looking at the same information on the call that we're having right now. Cool. Okay. So yeah, the goal would be to spider into more more domains and to be able to make it kind of ubiquitously available. Like like you said, anybody that's on the phone for a living, clearly there is value in that kind of real-time feedback. But what you were talking about for near-term use cases, commonalities would be member-based, long-term, high customer lifetime value importance on the relationship, and maybe also a bit of premium brands that have to maintain their je ne sais quoi and have to have that come through in the way that they treat their people, that their customers, that those are maybe the, what we could call five-year sweet spots, you know, before this spiders into, you know, everybody with a telephone. Well, actually, I hope in five years we'll be available to everyone with a telephone. I mean, right now, our focus is sort of that 
the description that you just gave is the high value, you know, member centric, high value in relationships. And that'll, that'll probably still be a pretty good chunk of your business, right? I mean, at the very end of the day, those people probably will be a little bit hungrier than the people who sell candy on the internet. But what you're getting at is you, you'll at least be able to have the candy on the internet people. Yeah, the technologies will be there. And I think the adoption will just depend, you know, in particular, how much voice becomes ubiquitous. You know, things are changing very fast. Voice is certainly on the upswing in terms of things that people are thinking of doing with it. You know, yep. you've got the you know, Amazon and Google Home and, and all of these companies are, you know, are very much investing in voice. And, you know, we don't know how those markets or products will turn out, but there's certainly signs that there's going to be a lot more voice interactions in the upcoming few years. So, you know, we'll see how that evolves. Yeah, safe to say. Need to see if you guys make your way into the Alexa and kind of personal agent space as well. I could see the viability of use cases there too. So an exciting future, but I, I really do appreciate the current landscape view of the folks that are kind of with the biggest dire need and biggest ROI opportunity. I think that was a well put and certainly a greater clarity than I think we generally get for that question. So I appreciate that. So I think that's all that we have for time now. But I have to say, I sincerely appreciate you being able to break down your insights and go into depth on kind of the business model as well. So thanks so much for joining us here on AI and Industry. All right. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Dan. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.